0: Welcome to the CJ Show. We are back this week, and I have a good friend who I have known for, I think we're coming up on about eight months since uh, Trans Rockies. I met him and his wife, and his name is Mark, and we're going to be talking to him about a lot of his experiences, his athletic endeavors. He is a retired Navy SEAL. He is a registered nurse and a coach from triathlon to running to he even was uh, working with... Uh, Navy SEAL or people that wanted to go into the SEALs so we'll be talking to him today but first if you're new to the show uh, The podcast is not the only place you can get media from me Uh, My YouTube channel is the other place, which is CJ Media and then Instagram, which is CJ Media. So connect with me on there and uh, That's about it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Really good, Chris. Yeah, good to see you face to face actually. Yeah, no doubt. Mark, the last time I saw Mark was actually, uh, which made my weekend, uh, was at my Ironman, my half Ironman, which was in December. And I went out, I was alone for the weekend. Uh, that was a plan. And then Mark uh, hit me up and said he wanted to come out and, and hang out for the race, which was, was a, I would say a huge, a huge blessing because I was nervous after not racing for nine years and just having him there. He's, uh, full of knowledge and, uh, helped calm me down. I think just, uh, giving me advice. So, uh, but so thanks again, Mark, for
1: being out there. Not a problem. It was my pleasure. I think any given situation like that, you know, you, you put in the time, but you need some reassurance to say, yeah, it's what you needed to do. And so that kind of calmed you. And then next thing you know, you're like, okay, now I can have the race I need because I put in the work.
0: Yeah, I got out of my own head. Yep. <laughs> Which I'm constantly in my own head. Uh,
1: so. you're, you are your own worst enemy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so I met Mark and his wife, Vicki, uh, at the Trans Rockies in Colorado. And you guys were, tell the story just uh, so that I don't get it wrong, but you guys were out there for her birthday. Is that right?
1: Correct. Yeah, my wife, Vicki, uh, turn 50 last year, and she was trying to find this epic 50 adventure and she was looking at you know i had i actually had coached her and that's how we had met to do her marathon but that's a whole other story we'll get to that i'm sure but she we had done crossfit we she did olympic lifting and now she's wanting to get back into running she's all oh, wow i think i want to do an ultra so she's looking for this epic race and so i'm figuring okay 50k maybe a 50 mile or something with 50 and she goes i found the race I went, all right, cool. It's, a, it's called the Trans Rockies Run. I went, okay, what's that? It's a six-day stage race, over 120 miles of running. I went, ha ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that. She said, no, yeah. you, 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 you got to do it with me. I went, hell no. Why would I want to run 120 miles? She said, no, watch the, watch the infomercial. I went, all right, so they have this 30-second infomercial, and I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times like I have. And after that 30 seconds of watching that, I looked at her and said, I am in. That is going to be a party. Yeah, the infomercial just gets you. I tell you what, and it was uh, without a doubt, no disappointment whatsoever. I would do it again and met so many great people like yourself. It was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Just the way we went at it and we went at it the way she wanted to. (laughs) Non-competitive, oh, you it. You <laughs> yeah. it. non-competitive, which was very, very hard for me because <laughs> I'm uh, a little on the competitive side. Yeah, we'll but, get to uh, that whole
0: story about uh, the first day.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> that was. I think it was like by the third day, I, I, I got into the, the her mindset and said, okay, we're here to have fun.
0: You're here to party and have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I was I was walking through the airport and there you guys were and it's funny because who else is carrying a huge backpack with shoes hanging off the back other than exactly. other people going to this event and <laughs> and that's where we connected. We connected yep. at the airport Saturday. The race didn't start till Tuesday and pretty much we we hung
1: out, hung out the entire time. The entire yeah. time.
0: So, yep. Yeah, well, it's been great. And uh, like I said, I've appreciated the friendship and, and just the the knowledge you've shared with me. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here, because I know just watching you with me or with others talking about running, you met uh, my buddy Johnny out there and he was asking you questions about running and yep. I mean right there in the restaurant you're up talking about running form and, and it's just a passion of yours and you can see it and you enjoy sharing the knowledge so Absolutely. what I figure we could do is we'd start back a little bit and give some people some history as to your background I mentioned you were a retired Navy SEAL and and kind of go through I know you had a a really cool Ironman career you've done Kona you actually held some records there and just some things like that. So maybe we'll start back, start back a little bit and, and give some history.
1: Uh, well, I can do that. Uh, well, I actually, I'm one of the older guys. So, yeah, I actually joined the Navy in 1978. And uh, my I, was, ath- I was two. You were two. OK. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I actually, my athletic endeavor before joining the Navy, I was, I ran track in high school and played football. You know, I was one of those really big guys on the football team at five six and 130 pounds. <laughs> so I played guard and tackle most of the time. Guard the water jug and tackled anybody that got near it.
0: <laughs>
1: but but I was fast, and so I was I was actually split end and caught passes when we got ahead, and it was it was fun. But my big thing was track. You know, I was a quarter miler in high school, and so I was on one of this top quarter mile I mean uh, mile relay teams in the state and I ran 51 seconds for the quarter mile so could join fast forward join the navy get in the navy and my first my first uh, a school that I went to they were doing this race called the 10k I'm like what's that And my buddy said oh you don't know what a 10k is it's like six miles we can go run this I'm like all right cool I show up, it's in Great Lakes in December, it's 15 degrees and people are taking their sweats off to run this race. I went, that's stupid. Why would why are they taking their sweats off? So I kept my sweats on and about halfway through this race, the guys are starting to take off and I went, hey, well, let's go catch up with those guys. He said, well, go ahead, if you can do that. Well, long story short, Ended up taking a second in the 10K. I ran like 35 minutes for the 10K, my first 10K, and said, "Hey, you should you should keep trying to do this because I basically had no training. I didn't do another 10K for about let's say till I got to SEAL training and running in boots because I went through my kind of left all that behind. Got into SEAL training. Uh, the fall of '79 graduated February 29th, 1980 from SEAL training. We just had our 40 year reunion this last February in Fort Pierce. It's kind of great seeing a lot of the old guys. Yeah, did I? It's funny because you were planning that when we were at Ironman
0: in December. We've never connected. We'll have to talk about that some other time. But I forgot that. that did that go off? It went
1: off and it, it was awesome. We, uh, it was kind of surreal actually because we had 54 guys graduate my seal training class This class 106. four were foreigners two from bangladesh two from thailand out of those four we had no idea where the guys from bangladesh are at the two guys from thailand we know one got killed in a border skir- skirmish on the cambodian border so one of those four guys are dead out of the 50 americans we still haven't been able to contact six. We don't know how to get a hold of them. Eight of us are dead from various reasons. Hardly any of them were in actually combat, uh, mostly after guys got out, uh, various diseases. And then uh, we had 25 guys actually show up to their reunion. Four years we, Yeah. And we had a absolutely great time. And it's kind of neat because my wife was not with me uh, during my military time. Uh, we've been married only seven years, and I retired uh, over 18 years ago. And she uh, she says, it's amazing the bond that you guys have. Yeah,
0: I can you imagine. Haven't,
1: you haven't I haven't seen some of these guys since I graduated because they went to the East Coast, and I never saw them again. So it's, uh, it's been 40 years, and it's like time but never you saw him yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's amazing.
0: There's I mean, certain people, there's certain relationships you have that you can go away for a long time, however long that is. And you just click right back into that groove as soon as you're with them again.
1: Yeah, it was, it was quite amazing because right at the final barbecue that we had, we had each guy stand up and just kind of give it two minute. And sometimes it went into 10, 15 minutes of what they've done since we graduated and some guys very, very successful and then other guys it's just been wow tough mm-hmm. tough life hardship after hardship but there he is with a smile on his face and you yes. can't get him down and it's just the mentality we have you know there's nothing that's going to stop us we just find a way around it yep yep that's great so yeah I uh, graduated SEAL training in 1980 uh, went to SEAL team one spent time at SEAL team one uh some time at seal team three I was an instructor at the bud's training for three years training seals and while I was there I actually re-run, rewrote most of their run program and some of their uh some of their swimming programs and uh, drum proofing stuff like that mm-hmm. I wrote yeah. the, the training plan for that then, yeah, you know, I thought
0: it was interesting we were at when we were at trans Rockies there we are getting our bags and there's a guy at Trans Rockies is yeah. volunteering. He sees you, and he, he's like, he knew who you were. You were one of his instructors going through SEAL
1: training. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty funny. Oh, Marty. Yeah. It had no idea who was going to be there. But yeah. it's a small community, but we're everywhere. Yeah. And you, it's the guys you just don't think, you know, oh, you can't be a SEAL. And we are. And then there's guys going out there saying that they're SEALs and they're not. And there's so many of those. And I I just don't get that. It's a lot of stolen valor to make guys feel better about themselves. But, you know, it's a. It's a shame. It's a shame.
0: Now, when you were in the SEALs, is that when you got into triathlon?
1: It was Um, I did. uh, (laughs) It's funny. I, I. actually got into my first triathlon ever was uh, Chuck's triathlon in, the, in 1980 in San Diego. It's one of the very first triathlons that hit the scene, and they did it backwards. Mm, they actually okay. did the run first, and it was around Fiesta Island. Then you jumped on your bike and did loops around Fiesta Island also, and then you got in the water, and started swimming. Well, what they found out in those early days is, after you do all that running and biking and trying to swim afterwards, your calves just turn into knots.
0: Oh yeah, they want to cramp.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that was difficult, and they did. And then uh, that was my first race. My second race was a half Ironman, mm. and it was called it was called the Super Frog.
0: Yeah, still goes on today.
1: Yep, I uh, I wore a pair of Hawaiian shorts for it regular tennis shoes, no toe clips. It was a like well, probably, I borrowed the bike. It was a Huffy. It was a 10 speed though. <laughs> <laughs> and I still remember it because I was an okay swimmer, but hadn't done a whole lot of bike rides. And they said, you need to eat on the bike. I went, okay. I took a, uh, a candy bar, and a granola bar on the bike ride with me. And one water bottle. <laughs> Needless to say, by the end of that bike ride, I was spent. I got off, tried to run, couldn't run. Luckily, I had a, because uh, you had had to have your own support crew back then. Hmm. And my support crew, a guy that uh, was a two-mile state record holder for the state of Michigan, where I grew up. And he uh, was my support crew. He said, "Here, drink this." He gave me a cup of Gatorade. Drink this. Cup of water. I'll see you the next mile. And he took off. So I half run, half walk the next mile. Get to that mile. Here, drink this. Cup of Gatorade. <laughs> cup of water. <laughs> within within four miles, I had my total legs back. End up just cruising the rest of the run in from about nine miles in, and end up having a great feeling great. I finished in five hours and 22 minutes. I still remember that time. That was in 81, uh, the super frog. I came back in 1988 to take that race on again and I won it. Nice. and, and, uh, I am, I, today I am still the only four time winner of that race. Oh, really? That's an interesting fact. Um, and I used to hold the course record there, at, right at four hours and thirty nine seconds. Wow! Until a That's guy. insane. Until a guy with one nut beat me by the name, <laughs> by the name of Lance Armstrong. <laughs> and now Lance Armstrong holds the course record there.
0: How much did he beat you by?
1: Uh, a couple of minutes. He was he was well under four hours.
0: He's got. That I think bunch. he went
1: four fifty something. Okay. But yeah.
0: Or three fifty something. Yeah.
1: At 3:57,
0: yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, I know you went on to obviously you qualified for Hawaii multiple times. Yep. You even held was it the military record?
1: Yep. Uh, I haven't kept track in the last few years, even though I know it's uh, it's been some pretty quick years the last couple of years. I haven't really kept track and see if I still hold that or not. But in 1992, I set the military record there with a 9:13. Uh, yeah, placed impressive. in placed in the top 50 overall. Uh, had a good day. Yeah, had a good that's day.
0: Yeah. Now talk a little bit uh, about you're no longer doing Ironman. Nope. And uh, there was an experience that occurred that kind of stopped you from from doing doing Ironman anymore, or being out on the bike so much.
1: Yeah. Well, that was uh, what 2011. So we had. Uh, I kind of got out of out of doing Ironmans, and then uh, got back into them again. After uh, and went through a divorce, and was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And then I, I met my present wife, and she said, "Let's let's train let's train for Ironman again, and let's uh, let's go back to Kona because I was actually turning 50 that year." turned 50 and I went, well, let's, let's take a look at it. You know, I've had some good races and I knew the guy that held the 50 year old age record in Hawaii. I had a guy by the name of Kevin Motes at that time. And then I went, I've beaten him before. (laughs) And so uh, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So we, we actually hired uh, Jeff Cutterback probably the best age group triathlete ever in Kona. I mean, he, he runs triple fitness training, and if anyone really wants a great triathlon coach, look up Jeff Cuddeback at triple fitness training. Guy's amazing. Uh, he set us up with a uh, training program, and I started getting fast, crazy fast. Um And this is when you were were training in Coeur d'Alene at that time? Yeah, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yep. I was up there. And I think we were, we started training with him in November of 2010. And the first weekend in May is Bloomsday, the big road race up in Spokane, Washington. Means like 40,000 people run it. Very competitive. And like I told Jeff, I said, hey, I want to do this race. He said, all right. But, I've got a 100-mile bike ride the day before that you need to do. I went, like, okay, not a big deal. So we smoked this 100-mile bike ride the day before with some local triathlete friends. And Vicky and I ride off the front from everybody. And they're like, hey, you guys need to slow down. I'm like, wow, I'm feeling really strong. Next day, we show up for uh, Bloomsday. I end up running... I think it was 6:12 pace for the 12k, and taking fourth in my division at Bloomsday. <laughs> so a 6:12 pace when I was 50. Yeah, that's that's not too bad. So yeah, I'm going bad. all right. Not I'm getting in shape. This is going to be a good year. That I got got a feeling that record's going down. Three days later, Cinco de Mayo, and won't we'll ever forget it. Cinco de Mayo, 2011 going out on a bike ride, coming back, coming to an intersection, come to a full stop. Have to wait for traffic to go by. There's a car on the other side, I look right at her. She has sunglasses on, she's gotta see me. Start heading across, she goes, turns, and right into me and mows me right over. Hits me, throws my bike into Vicki, knocks her down, Throws my body right out in front of her car, and she slams on her brakes and comes within about 18 inches of my head. Man, wow! Yeah, I was like, yeah, that was that was that was close, and that's actually the third time I've been hit in 30 years of doing triathlons. Yeah, now that did some damage to your shoulder, right? Which is really uh, well- I didn't realize it at first. I thought, oh, I come out of that pretty pretty okay. I got up, walked it off hurt my wrist a little bit was like not too bad my shoulder was a little achy not too bad i went had a buddy my bike was just totally trashed so we went to uh we actually went to a track meet um watched my son r- race and then after that i was really started hurting it's kind of like that after a car wreck you know no i'm fine i'm fine the adrenaline no, okay i'm good yeah <laughs> a couple hours later what hit me You know, so that's just it. And luckily, I was working in the ER at that time. So after the track meet, rolled over to the ER, said, hey, I think I need an x-ray. And took an x-ray, said, nah, everything looks good. Hand looks good. Shoulder looks good. I went, excellent. The next day, I said, well, I'll just do an easy swim. Went in to try to take go for a swim. Pushed off the wall. First stroke with my left arm. Felt like there was an ice pick on my shoulder. I was like, whoa. Took another stroke. Oh, same thing again. Long story short of it, had a full labral tear, rotator cuff tear. So they ended up having to go in and do reconstruction surgery on my left shoulder. Which, and then uh, had me Rethink the whole biking thing. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, part of my rehabilitation, I had some friends doing CrossFit uh, of ours, and Vicki started doing it while I was in a sling resting and went in to see her once while she was doing CrossFit. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And the owner there was an ex uh, Marine recon guy or Marsat guy. And I was like, he says, "Hey, you got to start using some of this to uh, rehab your shoulder." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Yeah, we can. We can scale all the exercises to where you can do just about anything." Okay, that I like the sound of that. Well, that was my start of our eight years of CrossFit.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, at, would you say your shoulder is what percentage? Back to normal, would
1: you say? Can you 100%. Swim? 100%, yeah. 100%. You can swim yeah. just fine. You can. Yeah, uh, I think, what was it, 2015 when we moved here uh, where we're at now in San Diego? I came across another buddy that was, he said, man, he said, you ought to, you ought to do Super Frog again. I went, no way, bro. <laughs> My <laughs> triathlon days are over. The only way I'm doing Super Frogs, they're relay. He goes, what? Relay? You do a relay with me? I went, for you, Gary, yeah, I'd do a relay. So uh, I told him I would either swim or run. He said, well, I think I can get my old other friend, uh, Rod, to run if you'll swim. I said, okay. So I started swimming. I'm getting pretty good at swimming again. And so he was going to do the bike and Rod was going to do the run. And about three weeks before the race, Rod gets a stress fracture, can't run anymore. So... Who would we get to do the run? My wife. Nice. <laughs> <Vicky>. <laughs> so we threw her under the bus, and, but she's more than willing. She's a tough girl. She'd do just about anything. That was, yeah, we ended up doing it 2015. I did the swim. It was fun. I swam better than I thought I was going to. And Gary did the, the bike and Vicky did the run. So that was actually the... The sixth time I did Super Frog, yeah, Um, so it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to get back at that race.
0: Yeah, I keep saying I want to do that race. I that'll that's one on the list. Eventually, once we get back to racing here. Now, with the um, with the CrossFit, you sent me a picture when I was telling you I wanted pictures for the podcast, and there was a picture you sent me. You were yoked. You were. <laughs> this they is
1: were... yeah. This is this is actually funny because when I started CrossFit, they said, okay, you know, here I'm Ironman. You know, I'm a sub easy, easily uh, always up, swam under an hour. Got great upper body strength. I sub five hour cyclist. Uh, I've gotten off the bike ride in Ironman Canada and ran a three oh one oh one off the bike for the marathon. I've ran a 306 in in Canada. Uh, I think I ran 316 in Hawaii my fastest year. So I can run also. So I, I've got strong legs. I got to CrossFit. I could not back squat my body weight.
0: Oh, yeah. That's always been – it's funny how my, my back squat, thinking about all the running and the cycling and all that stuff, I've always had a fairly weak back squat.
1: That freaked me out <laughs> Yeah, because knowing that, you know, being in the SEAL team for 24 years and working out every day and being a strong guy and that can move my body weight good. And, but putting weight on me and not being able to that that bothered me. And I realized I could only do three things. Well, I could swim, I could bike and I could run. Mm-hmm. So I jumped into CrossFit full on and, and long story short of it, I got my front squat up to 265. I got my back squat to 300. Uh, I cleaned and jerk 215. Uh, you know, I w- in my 50s, that was pretty good. I got strong again. That's not bad at all.
0: Yeah, no, well, you looked, uh, you looked pretty uh, jacked in that picture you sent. So I was curious uh, when that was, because that's one of the questions I constantly get is about my size. Verse, you know, I all I'm doing, I do a lot of endurance stuff, but I still lift quite a bit, and so then I'm carrying a lot of size on all of these events, and so I get lots of questions about one, how how do you maintain that size? How do you get that size with the amount of endurance that I'm doing? So, yeah, that was you were pretty jacked.
1: Yeah, well, see, but you're doing it right too, and that's the one thing that we'll definitely get into in this, in this podcast is that everybody's missing when they go out and run. Is that the strength training to support the running? I mean, there's always, there's always inevitably those two questions that always come out when somebody, somebody says, uh, "Oh, you're a run coach." Oh, yeah. He said, "Well, I, I hate running." I said, "Oh, really? This is, I've got two questions for you. What's that?" I said, "Who taught you how to run?" And they get that deer in the headlight look, you know, like. What do you mean who taught me how to run I'm like yeah you know you're a you're a triathlete or you're you're a you're a crossfit athlete or you're whatever it would be you know who taught you how, how to do a burpee oh a crossfit coach well you didn't even know how to do that until somebody taught you that right or or clean or back squat or a, a dumbbell snatch somebody's got to teach you how to do that right yeah who taught you how to run yeah people take that for granted yeah, well, isn't it just putting one foot in front of the other? Absolutely not. Yeah. And then most of the people out there are doing it wrong, and they're wondering why their ankles hurt or their feet hurt or their knees hurt or their back or their hips. And it's all because of the way they're impacting the ground because yeah. no one's taught them how to. And then once you get taught, they're like, wow, this is great. And the other thing they miss out, what I'm so – Proud of, proud of you to see that you do it is all the strength training you do. It's a necessity because yeah. we we call it black eye running. You know, it's mm. like punching yourself in the eye, punching yourself in the eye, punching yourself in the eye with all the running you do. It and you hear it all the time. Yeah, I was just upping my mileage, you know, two percent or five percent, of you know, every other week, and all of, out of nowhere I got an injury. My question is, what strength training do you do to support your running? Right. And they, what? Yeah. What strength training do you do from the knee, especially from the knees down to support your running? They're like, well oh. So it's, we, that's why we call it black eye running. It's just punching your eye until one day, ah, oh, it swelled up so bad it doesn't work no more. And there's right. your injury. So you, yeah, have, that's- you have to include that.
0: Yeah, for me, it's it's always been, uh, one, there's probably a little bit of um, being somewhat vain there, is I. there's a certain body type I want to maintain, and I don't want to kind of turn into that typical runner, triathlete body that, right, that basically very lean, but very small in a sense, right? They, they've no. lost all that muscle mass just from the years of burning it off. Yeah. And, and again, it goes back to, just like you said, when I got into CrossFit, I realized at some point that, yeah, I was good at three things and it was going in a straight line, right? right? I wasn't going side to side. And that's one of the reasons I I really liked getting into trail running because it required so much more than running in a straight line just from an ankle strength. And that's where I think, yeah, people don't realize deadlifting and just muscle muscle overall. I feel like in those later, especially in the longer races, Overall, that muscle really starts to help with fatigue. I oh, you like.
1: have to, yeah, have to have it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now you, uh, we'll talk more about coaching, but I wanted to talk you. I mean, you've been coaching, and one of the things you did was start a running. Wasn't it a running program?
1: I did. That you, yeah. Yeah, uh, I actually got into coaching kids. Uh, I had two boys when my oldest was in kindergarten uh up in Idaho, they actually have a cross country program in their elementary schools, which I think is amazing. Kindergarten and first grade run a half mile. Uh second, third. Is it no kindergarten through second run a half mile and then third, fourth, and fifth run a mile. That's cool. And it's awesome. And they do it. It's an after school program. And so my son did it in kindergarten. I thought it was cool and got out there and did the race. Of course, I have letting this all of his teachers coach him and everything. he got in the race and he ran away from everybody. I went, Holy smokes, you're fast. Which running's always been a passion of mine. So uh, the next year in first grade, I asked if I could help help with the coaching. Got the gym teacher there, said, Yeah, neat, love the help. And I was kind of watching the way he was doing it and I said uh, you know you ever think about doing this and this I'm like you know so we added relays and kids love relays what yeah. but what do relays do for you it gets that turnover and it and it helps do you know, some speed work as well as just running around the baseball field yeah exactly so then I started to incorporate they had a, a small little hill that was probably Maybe six foot tall and angled up to the to the fence. I said, "Well, let's let's start having them do relays up the hill around the tree and back." So what's that do? Gets in a little strength training, a little going up the hills. on These little kids. So we started a great little program at uh, my son's elementary school program in at Fernan Elementary up there in Idaho, and it became a little powerhouse. <laughs> 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 my, my son and his and two classmates became known as the uh, three musketeers because they never lost a race. Those three That's kids cool. always came in first, second and third in every race they did from first grade all the way through fifth grade. <laughs> and consequently, uh, I learned a lot about coaching, learned a lot about why I needed to coach different ways, too. Like, uh, I think it was the third grade race my son got into. This kid was running side by side with my son and my son started to pass him and the kid cuts my son off. I'm like, whoa, what was that? I'm like, so what, my son being the nice polite kid that he was, he dropped back behind him again. A Little bit later, it's going too slow again. My son tried to pass me. He, he hold, puts an elbow out even. And cuts my son off again. I'm like, whoa. Oh, he doesn't know what to do. That's not right. (laughs) So from then on, um, I started telling him, coaching him what he needs to do to help combat things like that. Hmm. And then when uh, I think he was nine, I got. I was coaching him. I had, I, got, I was co- coaching at the elementary school. Uh, my son was going to be, actually, I'm not sure how old he was. He was, gonna, he was in fifth grade, and I had the high school cross-country coach come up, to me and he said, hey, how would you like to start a club because the Junior Olympic cross-country nationals is going to be in Spokane, Washington next year. Which is just across the border from us, like 30 miles away, and we like to see some interest. But we don't have a club over here to develop interest. And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do that." So I started recruiting, you know, elementary school kids, uh, middle school kids, high school kids to join my club in 2005, and I had about 18 kids show up in 2005. And do all the qualification races. And I had three kids qualify for Junior Olympic nationals. Oh, like, cool. awesome. And I was like, cool. Yeah, we'll go to nationals. And and I, I really wasn't well organized for my first year. And the one kid said, Well, I'm I'm gonna have my uh my high school coach take me. And I am like, What what do you mean your high school coach take you? Like, okay, but I've been coaching you for the last nine weeks. And another kid said, no, I'm going to just have my, I'm going to go with my parents. And so, okay. so I took my son. We get to, it was in Smithfield, Rhode Island. The night before cross country nationals, they get a winter storm that drops six inches of fresh snow on everything. Just dumps. We wake up that morning. Of course, I'm prepared. I've got short spikes. I've got half inch spikes for my son's shoes. And I'm like, uh, Cody, we're, we're putting the big spikes in. There's a lot of snow out here. He's okay. Okay, dad. Consequently he places 14th in the nation gets all American status. The other two kids end up slipping, sliding, falling down during the whole race. Both of them have horrendous races because they weren't prepared I said I will never bring someone to a race again that's not prepared The very next year I got way more organized I took some I mean I started from the ground up uh, the legendary John Wooden the coach at UCLA oh yeah if you look back in any of the documentaries how does he start every one of his basketball seasons he lines everybody up On the first roll, the bleachers in the gym. He says, everybody take your shoes and socks off. Everybody look. Everybody and all all the upperclassmen know this already. They're already sitting there because he does it every year. He said, you are absolutely no good to me if you get a blister on your feet as a basketball player. I'm going to show you how to put your shoes, your socks and your shoes on correctly so you don't do it wrong. Get a blister. So what did I do? I set all my kids down beginning of every season and take their shoes and socks off. I'm going to show you how to tie your shoes because if your shoe, your feet are moving around too much in your shoes and you get a blister. You're not going to have a good run. So yeah. I tried to take a lot of that knowledge and and uh, from other coaches that makes sense and apply it to my program. Now, North Idaho Cross Country is one of the – I turned that uh, – program over after I coached it for 10 years, I had 26 all Americans. I had two national champions at the junior Olympic level and out of a little town of about 38,000 it, I turned that over. We now have had 40 all Americans, three national champions. And that's one of the most, one of the top premier cross country program clubs in the whole Pacific Northwest. Mm, yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty cool. I see yeah. where that, that club has gone.
0: Now, I know at this point, you uh, we talked and I learned all about you're basically getting close to retiring at this True. point from being yep. an RN. And uh, unfortunately- You should, should have already retired. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, uh, well, I've, I've heard there in talking to Vicky, I know there's some benefits that have come of, of staying here, but yeah, you, you should have been retired and you should have been living in Costa Rica already. True but you're still uh, down in near San Diego and yeah. um, and continuing to work at this point until uh,
1: until all of this lets up essentially, right? Yeah, actually feeling very blessed that uh, I still have a job and still needed and feel blessed that uh, we still have a place to live. They didn't uh, find anybody else to, to lease our place, so we're going month to month. Uh, my wife's been able to get her uh, online business going a little bit better and – You know, there's uh, with everything going on in the world, uh, definitely feeling blessed to where we're at right now. So, yeah, we're still moving forward. uh, And uh, my marathon training, you know, we've got new goals. Yeah, both you and I. I. It's a funny story because in I think it
0: was in it was in December when we were at the race. We were talking about Boston. And I had told you that uh, I thought after after doing some running that I felt that maybe I had a shot at trying to qualify for Boston. That, that you should you'd have no
1: problem. I actually started thinking about that, uh, and I had at t- even to this day I have never done just an open marathon. Well, that was me. Yeah, yeah, I've I've never done one. And I'm going. I'm a runner. You know, you look at all the athleticisms that are out there, there's a pinnacle at each one, right? There's the world this, the world that, you know, the Ironman World Championship. And as a runner in the United States, Boston's it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, okay, why haven't I done it? Yeah. Good question. So uh, you got me, uh, put that on the radar for me. I uh, mulled that over and finally said, yeah, I'm turning 60 this year. Let's do it. So I looked up the qualifying time for Boston for a 60-year-old and it's 350. And I started laughing. I went, yeah, I could do that. If it's I can run if I can't <laughs> run 330, there's there's something wrong. So I'm like, yeah. So I started looking into it a little bit further, looking at some of the top times over Boston the last you know, three, four years. And it seems like top 10 for 60-year-olds is like 315 and under. That number 10 spot is right around 315. That's my goal. Top 10 at Boston. Nice. Yeah, well, I saw
0: your your post the other day. So your 10-miler, you were running, I don't know
1: what the overall average, but it looked like somewhere around 730s. I, well, so I did five miles out, five miles back, and the five miles out were, had a little tailwind. So, yeah, I, I think I hit three 730 miles in a row and then turned around and said, oh, that's why. <laughs> 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 and on the way back, I think I was holding 750s, 740s, something like that. And I think my overall, my overall uh, average was, I think, 747, something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just in, in
0: watching your training, I've, I've noticed, I mean, your, your times are coming down quick.
1: So that's, uh,
0: impressive, whatever you're doing. And that's, that's one of the things is peaking, my, has been peaking my interest. And I know you've talked about starting to coach again, work with folks, um, either triathlon or, um, running, or like you said, um, you've even done seal, seal, seal prep for people. Right. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to, to get you on and kind of pick your brain on your methods, your thoughts on that, and how you approach it, uh, so that if someone is interested, they could uh, they could reach out to you because it sounds like that's something you're looking at at doing as you move into retirement with
1: a little more free time. Yeah, well, uh, when we were in CrossFit, everybody you know would always comment and say, "Wow, you, you run so well! You run so well! You should you should uh, do a like a clinic or something like." Well, I can do that because Vicki at that time was helping me with my kids run program. So I did. I, we threw together a little run clinic for the CrossFit program, uh, our CrossFit gym. And did. A, it was about a three-hour clinic. And coming out of it, I uh, had three people come up to me and go, this is insane. I always thought you either could run or you couldn't run or you had a runner's body or you didn't have a runner's body. And it has nothing to do with that. It's about running better and running more efficiently. He said, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I always just thought running was running. I said, no, it's just like anything else. You got to have somebody teach you how to do it if you're going to do it correctly. So given that, uh, I sat down and I have a bachelor's degree in technical education, basically developing uh, curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I put together a curriculum uh, called Running Concepts and we started going to crossfit gyms all over the country and doing run clinics. And it was very successful. Um, one of the run clinics, one of my biggest advocates was a, uh, was a lady that was had three kids. She was 300 pounds got into CrossFit, lost almost hundred pounds. He was down to like 210 or something like that. And it was, I know it was 2012. I had bought tickets for the Olympic trials for the whole, the whole Olympic trials and the whole 10 days. And they had two two rest days in between. So they had five days and then five more days, Olympic trials and the two rest days. We went to Eugene CrossFit and that's where this lady was at. And it just so happened to be a CrossFit workout that had an 800 meter run in it. And some of the good CrossFit athletes, you know, they'd get down to the workout and they'd go out for the 800 meter run. And I'd be a little bit behind them. I'd catch them on the run and get in before them. And they'd catch back up to me and we almost finished together. And the guy goes, wow, you run really well. I said, man, I, you know, I've been doing it for a while said, yeah, but you're not young anymore. I said, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and this lady, she finally came in and she goes, ah, oh, man, I, I hate running so bad. I said, well, could you do it wrong? She looked at me. She says, what do you mean you do it wrong? I said, yeah. Who taught you how to run? Well, nobody. I said, who taught you how to lift? Uh, these guys. I said, okay, why don't you have somebody to teach you how to run? I can teach you how to run in 15 minutes. Okay. So I took her out back in 15 minutes, taught her how to run. And she goes, Oh my goodness. She come here, come here, come here. Took me into the head coach. She says, this guy needs to teach our box how to run. It's amazing. He said, what do you do? I kind of show him, he says, can you do a quick clinic for us? I said, yeah. I said, when he said, uh, how long are you here for? I said, well, I'm here through the Olympic trials. I said, but that Saturday after it over, I'll stick around an extra Saturday if you put some people together. I had 52 people from his CrossFit gym show up to the run clinic, and I said, okay, great. I said, just remember, um, as CrossFit athletes, we really don't do much training for the knees down. We do two things: we jump rope. And we do box jumps. Other than that, we don't do anything to strengthen from the knees down. So these drills that I've come up with and through different videos that I've seen and different way different coaches do things that I've come up with, they're going to make you sore. And so I do the whole run clinic and had people, all kinds of people come up and, you know, wow, that's amazing. It's great. The next day before we leave, we're going to do another CrossFit workout and one of their games athletes comes up to me. He goes, can I talk to you? I went, yeah. He said, uh, yesterday when you did your run clinic and you said that, uh, don't be surprised if you're sore the next day after we do this. I'll be honest with you, I laughed at you under my breath. I, I said, well, I understand. He said, because, no. You don't understand. He said, I'm a Games, CrossFit Games athlete. He said, I work my body every which way I can. Dude, I am so sore right now, I can barely walk. (laughs) He said, the drills that you had us do yesterday made me understand how to run better, but it also made me understand how much I neglect my lower body. He said, so I'm man. I'm now gonna start incorporate all this stuff into my training so that not only can I be a better runner, I'm gonna be a better athlete overall. Yeah.
0: Well, just the it's funny
1: because you've been on me about what do I do before I start running.
0: Right. And and at Trans Rockies, I watched you guys every day go over in the grass, go through a warm-up, yep. and and then come over and and we would all start running together. And I have always kind of had that mindset of my warm up on a run is a, is a slow first mile and, and then, you know, continue to to run. Maybe I would stop and do a little bit of stretching after like after that first mile, which I felt like I was loosened up, but you shot, I don't know, 12 videos that you sent me recently, which I want to incorporate those actually into one of my videos to kind of give an overview and, and use your videos as well to share with people just those 12 drills that are simple. Very simple. Walking on your toes, walking on your, you know, just, just simple things to do that would take maybe five, 10 minutes max. Yeah. About 10 minutes before you start running and how much, uh, looser, one of the things I did it was, um, I had done a run that I was doing, uh, repeats. I'm not going to say intervals. I'm going to say you're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Sidebar. I'm having a conversation with Mark about intervals, or I said the word intervals. And 20 minutes later, I was educated on how that is the wrong term, that you should be yeah. doing repeats, not repeat. intervals. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Interval so anyways, is the rest period. Yes, interval is <laughs> the rest work.
0: period. Repeat is the uh, <laughs> yes. Sure is. So I will never again say I am doing intervals. There uh, you go. I like it. I, unless I slip up. I might have said <laughs> it the other day, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway. Um, I was doing, I was doing incline repeats on the treadmill and I, uh, that day I noticed I, when I went from to, to 4% that I could actually feel it in my Achilles for, for a second. And it was just, just a little bit of pain. And I thought, "Uh Oh, and, and then it went away by the next one. But the following week you had sent me those videos and I did all of those exercises before getting on the treadmill to, to do the uh, similar type, uh, repeat, uh, incline workout, not a, not a single problem. Didn't feel it felt felt warmed up, felt like I could actually start at a little faster pace instead of, you know, in my mind, no matter how much faster I get at running, I always feel like I have to start at a 10 minute, 9 minute, you know, 930 mile pace. Um, but actually just doing that little bit of work, I felt that I could actually start running faster, quicker. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's nothing, I mean, it's not like I'm sweating or anything. No. They're simple exercises like i said walking on your toes swinging the legs a little bit some kicks um uh you know just basic active basically active warm-up yep. and yeah it, it makes a huge difference in running
1: oh well, it's, it's like anything you do you should do a warm-up i mean whether you're doing a swim workout whether you're doing a weight routine whether you're doing uh cycling you you do a warm-up before you get into your main set why don't you do that with running yeah. and that and nobody does it and they still they wonder why they get injured and that's the nice thing about these these exercises this warm up thing it also helps develop strength because it's a progression thing and the more you do it the stronger your legs become from the knees down and you know here I am uh, almost 60 and the only thing I'm dealing with right now is the severe degenerative arthritis in my hips that I've been <laughs> doing the job for 24 years in SEAL team. Yeah. yeah
0: but well, I'd say that. I feel pretty good. Other than this the secret sauce away, I guess, what, what is, would be um, a few things that uh, people could look out for when you're, you're talking about doing these clinics and you've evaluated a lot of people running? Um, what would be a few pieces of, of knowledge or things for people to consider?
1: Most... It it depends what type of runner you want to be. First off, if you just want to be a casual, I want to go out and I need to do my three or four miles just to stay in shape. That's all I want to do. Great. You want to be more of a midfoot striker. Do not heel strike. Heel striking, when I actually, when I was there at the Olympic trials in 2012, we Got into a a coach's clinic because I was a USA track and field certified coach back in those days. Uh, I got the opportunity to uh, talk to, uh, listen to a guy by the name of Dr. Ralph Mann. Uh, Not only was he a silver medalist in uh, 400 hurdles in the Olympics, he was also the head biomechanics guy at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. He put out some great information and it was like amazing information one of the things that they did was with pressure plates in the bottoms of the shoes looked at different type of run strides. And they found out that when you over and heel strike, it can be up to six times your body weight, that's shocking yeah. into your ankles, your knees, your hips, into your back. And then people wonder why they hurt after they run. Because it doesn't make more sense. You want to go faster, stride out longer, longer distance, the more the more, the the more ground you cover right yeah, yeah. More ground. It and it's absolutely wrong yeah that's been the biggest transition
0: for me or the biggest change I made uh after my second Ironman and multiple Achilles tears and kind of just beating myself up was to start trying to make that transition to a four-foot or yep. mid- midfoot uh, striker runner and focus on that and it's it takes time it takes it takes well, it, work. it takes drills it there is you know uh, you start to make that transition and typically you are over exaggerating it you're running you know your calves are sore um, yep. but I would say that has been the biggest thing I've done to make a as a general big improvement was make that transition to more of a m-
1: midfoot four-foot runner Yep, yeah, and a great point that your calves got sore because they will. It puts so much more stress on the bottoms of your feet, your Achilles tendon, your soleus, all the way up into your gastroc by becoming a four-foot runner because you're not used to doing that. That's why it's imperative to do those drills walking on your toes, the the Frankie walk is that I you know we've developed in the skips and all those, and you can do, uh, we have agility ladder things that we do for lateral stability too. I mean, there's just so many different things you need to do to support the new run style. And when I teach everybody this, I tell everybody now you have to start this progression very slowly.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's that progression is running one minute at a time and then walking for a minute, and while you're walking, concentrating on your big toe and pushing off your big toe while Mm -hmm. you're walking, and -hmm. then running again for a minute, and then walking a minute, and you're doing that 10 times. So you're out there for 20 minutes, but it's 10 minutes of actual running. That's how you start out. Right, that's the biggest thing I found for people to swallow is in order to progress,
0: you have to take a step back.
1: Huge, huge step back
0: and people have to be willing to accept that right? which is the is the hardest part of yeah, yeah i'm gonna have to run less or i'm gonna have to take a big step back in
1: order to make a make a big step forward well and but here's the crazy thing about it you know we did trans rockies with you and the next i i bought my coros watch which i absolutely love thank you <laughs> uh but uh After Trans Rockies, I was in that fog. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I ran once each of the three months after Trans Rockies. Yeah, I remember. When you came to December, you had run three times or something. Yeah. And so when I started my running back up, how did I start? One minute of running, one minute of walking, and I did it 10 times. Yeah. I'm now three and a half months into my running schedule. I just did a 10 mile run continuous in those three and a half months. That's only been my sixth continuous run. Everything else I've been doing so far has had walking in it. Wow. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. You said that, uh, I think it was even before we started recording this, you said that it was my, whatever your sixth continuous run. Six, yeah. And it hit me then that what you were doing and I, I hadn't even realized it.
1: And, and it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, I didn't realize it, how dramatic it was going to be until now. It makes so much sense to do it because everybody gets overuse injuries, everybody, you know, they go out to try to run and it's like, oh my gosh, that three miles killed me. Uh, how long have you been running? I just started back again. Then why the hell are you doing three miles? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why not make it fun, run a minute at a time. Walk a minute at a time. Do that 10 times. You go, wow, that was easy. Exactly. Not only that, your heart rate is not getting elevated to the point of going anaerobic. You're staying aerobic the entire time. Yeah. And now, when I first started, when I I look back at some of my numbers uh, before we came on today, I was looking back at some of the runs I was doing that I was three minutes of running, With 30 seconds of walking, I was doing that 10 times. My heart rate was getting up into the 160s and 170s. I was like, wow. And I was running like 830 pace. Well, because I kept implementing that walking and walking, my 10-mile run yesterday, my heart rate never got above 153. Yeah, that's impressive because I've been training that aerobic, that aerobic base, that aerobic base, aerobic base and not letting my heart rate get up. But even though I'm, I mean, I've got runs that I have just tempo runs that every one of my you know, three minutes of running is focused on seven minute mile pace. Or I have uh, my fart lick training where every I'll do three minutes times 12 with 30 seconds of walking in between and every third one, I'm trying to hit between 6:45 and 6:30 pace, you know, and so I'm incorporating all different types of training, and then I'll have a two by two minutes by 30 seconds for 12 times recovery day where I'm like la 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 I'm running two minutes, <laughs> uh, okay. and I won't let my heart rate get above 140, you know. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, you have to have those recoveries, you have to have the tempo, you have to have the the overspeed stuff. To make that progression and then you have those test days right to see if it's coming together like the 10 miler i did yesterday that i came back and went it's come along nicely
0: yeah yeah that shows
1: yeah yeah i
0: mean one of the biggest thing i i because i think well one through youtube i've documented where i started in november or october a little over a year ago year and a half ago or so and you can look at where I was with Strava and people have watched me progress. I didn't really do any sort of speed work until after Trans Rockies when I moved in. I was doing a lot of hill training, which I've learned that uh, hill training is really speed work kind of in disguise. Right.
1: But there, there's definitely That's strength, strength training.
0: Yes. That's what it it is. Strength, strength training. Yep. training. Yep. Yep. And. Coming off of Trans Rockies with only, you know, pretty much all those runs being nine minute, 10 minute miles, a lot of hills, a lot of slow runs uh, coming out of Trans Rockies and then rolling right into an Ironman or half Ironman training program. And that is when I started incorporating speed work to go from all of those runs that were nines or so. And all of a sudden now I'm running sevens, you know, some 630 runs. And uh, a lot of that I attribute to consistency and a lot of time building a huge base. Yep. And I think uh, you know because I constantly, how, how are you getting faster? How are you getting faster? Well, I mean, it. I just put that. I think that year of doing nothing but slow, consistent running helped me build a really big base, which now has allowed the speed work to really help a lot.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also understanding how to turn all that into speed, and it's not. Overstriding, It's right. getting at, uh, and I like to use that metronome, you know, find out what your comfortable pace is and your metronome. Cause I know I can go out and run really comfortable and my turnover is, is 92 steps per minute on one leg, which is high, which is if I, which I would is say like, it's high, I would say it's, it's high a, like 180. Percent. It's a hundred, well, 185 ish. Yeah, if you're counting both, if you got, uh, you know, like the, your Koros watch, it counts your cadence. Yep. But I I look at my Coros and now when I when I start doing my fartlek works and I get down to the 630s, i s, I'm at 190. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's the biggest so thing I took the, away from yeah. Trans Rockies is when we were in Trans Rockies and we were comparing our data every single day uh, on our runs. You consistently had a good 20 uh 20 higher cadence than I had, right? You know, I'm looking at a a 160, a, you know, 170 max maybe. And you were always much higher than me. And that was one of the things that really sank in. And since then I have focused on ever since uh meeting you was cadence and shortening yep. the stride, higher cadence and you talked to me about, you know, it's less time on the ground, right? And you, and I'm a bigger guy. I'm one, I don't know, 190, we'll say. And um, that is one of those things. It it I've always been concerned about beating my legs up. And, and yeah. yeah, you talked about cadence being something to pay attention Huge. to.
1: Yeah. Running's, uh, running's a friction sport, right? And the more time you put on the ground, you're more time you're on the ground, more friction and it's going to be slowing you down. So you want to get off the ground. Hence a lot of those drills that I do, uh, especially the skipping, gets you focused on getting off the ground quick. Mm. And so it's just like just like the way you need to run.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and running with the metronome, that was one of the things you brought up and yeah. um and and doing that and slowly increasing that cadence you know so you're trying to run a little faster um i've been i've been i've been working on it i've been slowly it takes time though it's not something that you that turns on quick because what you find is over a long run just like four foot running or anything like that if if it's a long run you're going to slowly fall back to your old ways yep so it's it's something that has it requires a lot of focus
1: on my part to think about shortening my stride picking up the cadence. And I mean, and again, I go back to the way I'm training right now. Even my long runs right now are five minutes of running, 30 seconds of walking. And I do that 12 times. I get eight miles in, but I'm still not continuing it long enough to get tired to where I can't focus on my cadence, focus on my run form. And so every run I do, I have a purpose, right? And that purpose is make sure I'm maintaining my form, make sure it's, it's either a tempo run or it's an easier run, control your heart rate, or it's a fart lick run or, you know, something that you need to be focused on not just going out there and going, Hey, what'd you do today? I, I ran. No. What did you do today? Right. Oh, I'm I mean, more than just running. Yeah. Every run should have a purpose.
0: Well, that's the biggest thing I learned from uh, when I came out of Trans Rockies and all through Ironman, everything I've done, all the long distance stuff I've done. It's it's always been a mileage or a time-based mindset. Today, I need to do 10 miles. Today, I need to do this. Today. Yep. And so the common. Work, the work The workout had no purpose other than it was this much time or this much distance, right? And since then, kind of transitioning into a more of a purpose driven workout every day, there is a purpose for what yeah. I'm doing, um, has made a huge, huge difference. It's not, I'm doing 10 miles Well, I am doing 10 miles, but within that 10 miles, there are pickups, there's some progressions. There's absolutely every, every workout. And the other thing it does is it really, which I found and it helps on the treadmill as well as every workout has a purpose and it requires, it, it requires you to think about it. Yep. Which actually makes it go by quicker because today I did a 15 mile run with uh, three 5K progressions in there just throughout that 15 miles. And each one of those, all of a sudden you realize, okay, I've got three miles and I'm kind of progressing each one. And pretty soon it's like, oh, I'm on my last one here. I'm in you know, mile 10 or whatever. And those first 10 miles are just gone. gone. And it's because yep. your mind is thinking, you're monitoring your pace, you're monitoring what you're doing. And it's not just slugging through, even though it was my long run, it, it
1: wasn't just slugging through the miles. No. Yeah. That, and that was my old mindset. I, I look back and some of my early days of uh, Ironman training, it was just putting it in, putting it in, putting it in. It re- There wasn't a lot of purpose back then until no. 2011 when I got with Jeff Cutterback, he had a purpose for every run I did. And I went, ah, oh, this guy's got something here. This is yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> and they did. I mean, I've got, I still look at some of my logs from, what here, I mean, he'd have me do 18 mile runs back to back weeks and you don't hear many people doing that, but there was a dis- different philosophy for each 18 miles and and it broke it up to where it didn't seem like 18 miles. Yeah. And was yeah, great. And that's how
0: even my small runs are now, even though I do most of my midweek or during the week training is all on a treadmill, just cause I'm training at four 30 in the morning. Um, I, you know, it's just easy to get on the treadmill and not run in the dark, especially when I'm trying to run. Uh, that's one thing I found is running in the dark, it, it on the streets it's hard it's harder to do these very specific type workouts of i'm going to do these repeats and i want to run at this speed and i want it, to it's not as easy doing it in the dark um, yeah. on the streets jumping off curbs and, yeah. and stuff like that so most of my runs during the week are on the treadmill but i used to hate running on the treadmill i couldn't stand it it was so boring but now again that every workout has a purpose there is tie, you're running for this long or you're running for this distance and you're running those, I can do a 90 minute workout on the treadmill and it just flies by.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to have a focus without a doubt. And that's what a lot of people miss, you know, but it, it's, uh, it's always fun when you get athletes and you, you give them something new to, to work with, whether it be the drills like a, like I just gave you, or, you know, you it's a, uh, a, re- a recovery type workout or a, a specific workout like, you know, Hey, do, you know, three minutes on 30 seconds of walking or even a 32nd jog. And then every third one you're trying to go faster than race pace. it's like, Oh wow, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Have a purpose. And yes. when they do, they come back. Not only was it fun, I now I'm seeing the benefits of it down down the road. I did the same workout again that I always do every Thursday and now I'm 30 seconds faster. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, starting to see the return. Yeah. That I mean, that's definitely a passion of mine to find someone that I can help let them find the better version of themselves that they're they've been looking for. Yeah. And and it takes a coach to do that. You know, a lot of people don't have that. Number one, the knowledge base, or they don't have uh, the accountability to do it, and that's yeah. what coaches are, are there for—that accountability. And we all go. I go through it I, every so often, you know, and I try not to use excuses, but it's so easy here in California. <laughs> you get so spoiled. Yeah. Like yeah. like when I re- like when I coach my cross country kids. We're in Idaho, right? So we show up the first day of practice, and I get all the parents around while the kids are warm it up and then kind of go over what the season's going to be like. And then I get all the kids, all the parents together. And I want to go over one thing. If you get up that day and it's snowing, raining, sleeting, just nasty outside. And you're wondering if we're going to have practice or not show up. We're having practice. <laughs> and they all look at me. I said, because it may be that way on race day. And you need to have experience running in that type of weather. Yeah. So we did. Oh, and these kids loved it. I got them to enjoy running in the most nastiest weather. And some of the best races we ever had had just terrible, terrible weather. And our kids are having a blast. Yeah. But here now in California, if it rains in the morning, I'll wait until after work to run.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's pretty funny. Last year, <laughs> last year I ran in the rain because I did all my running. I didn't have a treadmill. I was running outside all the time. This year, it's like eh, it's raining. I'll run in the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But no, speaking to the coaching thing and the accountability, that is one thing I say uh, a lot of people lack. And one of the things I've given credit to the YouTube videos I'm doing is that has made me accountable because yeah. so many people are watching. The videos in the training and uh, it doesn't allow for, you know, those, those basically slacking off, right? Because yeah. I know each day, each week I've got to produce this thing. And a coach works very similar. I think a lot of people think, ah, oh, can I just, can, can you just give me your marathon training plan? Can, can I? buy one and get one on training peaks. And, and the problem with that is yes, you can, you can see the workouts. You can be given those workouts, but what's going to be missing is that accountability. Exactly. And that's that one thing that I think people don't realize what they're paying for when they pay for a coach. Yes, it costs money, but again, it costs $185 to go to a CrossFit gym as well or whatnot. And if running is an important goal, then having that person that is looking at how you feel, understands what your goals are. And then you're accountable to them, right? They're monitoring you. It makes a huge
1: difference. Yep. You know, it totally does. Yeah. It's uh that's why we hired the coach in 2011. Why we hired, uh, hired Jeff Cutterback is that we knew how to train. We both were Vicky and I were both successful at Ironmans, but we wanted to take it another level further. We wanted to make sure that we were accountable for those workouts and, and have some more feedback on how we were training. And yeah. so, yeah, we had weekly phone calls with them. You know, hey, how'd, we, how'd this week go? how did this workout feel? How did, uh, did you, how was that specific focus on this workout? How did that plan? And I was old school that my thought was, I don't do bricks. And here's the reason why. I don't think I could support myself well enough on a bike ride to get off and run well. So why do I want to put that negativity in my head coming off the bike? That's how I justified it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff goes, oh no, dude, you're doing, you're doing bricks. And gosh, I got good. I got really good. Yeah. And, and I owe it to him, you know, yeah. just, just to, uh, I mean, I'd get off, I'd get off a two and a half hour bike ride and run a half half marathon yeah that's nice yep and and go wow I can still hold I can still hold 715s after a two and a half hour bike ride for a half marathon I'm there yeah yeah that's
0: uh, one of the things I think people take for granted when you buy a plan and the workout is there there's still this time or day or where you just eh I'm just gonna run the ten miles. I'm not gonna do what the workout says, right? It's easy because again, that accountability is not there. But when you have somebody monitoring you
1: and checking in, uh, that 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 helps a lot. Yeah, and you have to justify it on that that weekend phone call. You did you you just went out and ran? That's <laughs> exactly. all you did. You d- had no focus. Um, um yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only takes a couple of those, and then uh, yeah. It's not worth having to uh, go through that. Uh, I, I'm the same way when I was coaching kids. Uh, like when I got here to uh, California, I g- kind of got out of coaching kids. And then at one of the CrossFit jumps, actually, I was coaching for SealFit at the time. And I uh, had one of the moms and dads that were at uh, US, U.S. CrossFit said, hey, I heard that you were a run coach. I said, yeah. Well, our daughter really likes cross country running, but she wants to get as good as her friend. Would you look at her and see how how she did, how she's doing? I went, yeah, sure. I'll take a look at her. And within a couple of sessions, I said, she's got a lot of potential because she actually runs really well. She just needs a little focus. They said, you mind if we hire you? Yeah, I'll hire you. So at, at her academy, they had five levels at yeah you know, the the seniors and the varsity then the the, the other kind of varsity A varsity B JV and then they had their their four under five group that they just kind of okay go do your workout right you know you and she was actually was started out in the fifth group got her way to the fourth group and so I started working with her and by the time track season rolled around and her coach said what have you been doing um i'm g- gonna move you up to varsity because nice. you're ty- you're you're starting to run you're starting to run same as these other girls because no none of the girls she was leading the the lower groups and they moved her up to the next group and they moved her up to the next group she, finally she was in the b varsity group and then uh the Kepper and the B gar- varsity group, even though she was running cl- times close to the A varsity group because it wasn't a priority to her. Mm. And her, it frustrated the heck out of her dad. And I finally pulled him aside and said, Hey, listen, your desires are not hers. Right. And this is something that I had to do a lot when I coached kids, was coaching the parents you know, you want them to do better. You want them, you want to push them, but remember, it's not you. It's not your desires. It's their desires. And that's hard, Oh yeah. especially when you have a competitive parent, you know, you've got to let that go and you've got to take a step back. I, you know, that was the same with same thing with my boys and coaching them. I had to take a step back because I am so competitive and I'll, I'll push hard. I mean, my my son early on just sucked it up to the point where, you know, he set a he set a mile record when he was in eighth grade of 4:34. Uh, yeah. At, at a Portland track festival, and you know, it, it would look like he was going to be one of those phenoms, you know, and just go. And then it finally, you can see once you got into the more social aspect of high school. It wasn't as much of a priority, and I had to take a step back and say, you know, hey, this is whatever you want to do, bud. Whatever you want to do, and I mean, he still ended up being what four-time state champion, and he set the mile record at his high school at four fifteen, but I think he could have easily run sub four. But it's it was his journey, and he and he was okay with that, and so was I. So, but that's you have to and it's like coaching adults too. They're, if a, a person is non-competitive and just wants to become a better runner, a midfoot striker is okay. Right. If they want to run fast and they want to be competitive, a midfoot striker is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be able to compete. Yeah. I show a very, I, when I used to do my run, uh, running concepts clinics, I used to show a really good video of my, my son in the high school race, and he, I show the whole mile race and he just runs away from everybody and he runs a 423 mile. And the three guys come in behind him, look horrendous, over striders, heel strikers, but they run sub five minute miles. And mm-hmm. I look at everybody and I go, you can run fast being over strider. It's going to wear on your body Mm -hmm. and you're going to be, it's going to hurt, but you can do it. But a four foot runner will outrun you every time. So it depends on what you want to be. Are you content with being that over strider and beating yourself up or midfoot strider and and just maintaining where you're at? Or do you want to really improve and and learn how to four foot strike? It depends what they want to do. Right. You and, I'm, and I'm okay with any one of them except the overstrider. I will break that <laughs> because yeah. it'll hurt you. Well, the damage, the long-term wear. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: I credit making that transition just in the last, uh, you know, nine years really is when it's been to allowing me to run some of these races and distances that I've done is yeah. it's allowed, you know, it's allowed so much more stress. So much more, in less, so much less stress, so much right. less impact on the body.
1: Yeah. And, and I tell you what, from running, meeting you in Trans Rockies to where you're at now, night and day, bro. Night and day. <laughs> you look you look really good running. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been,
0: well, it's, it's amazing, you know, the, the advice of folks like yourself and applying that and uh, makes all the difference in the world. I mean... It,
1: you don't know what you don't know, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can work. Yeah. It's there. There is some, there is something to working harder, but there's a lot to working smarter. If <laughs> <laughs> no you, you work hard and smarter, you, you see some huge changes. So, yeah. well, cool. Well, Mark, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we're going to have to do this again and get into more detail on other things. But, uh, I wanted to find out if someone is interested in, in Talking to you about running or coaching or anything like that, what would be the best way to,
1: to get a hold of you? Uh, hit me up on Instagram. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: it's BJBA60. Um, I know that's kind of a weird address and everything. My wife set this up for me years ago, <laughs> and her nickname for me was Big Johnny Badass. So <laughs> it's tense, BJBA, and 60 was the year I was born. So,
0: all right, there yeah. you go. Well, cool. Well, I'll uh, I'll make sure I link that below. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value in in just even just the small nuggets that you've shared with me and, and things like that. And and the videos you're doing, which is something I want to work more on with you to do produce more of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, the, there's
1: there's just a lot of wisdom there and it's it's helped me quite a bit. So I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure again like I said it's my passion is try to help people find the best version of themselves and uh, like I said you don't know what you don't know yeah. it's like anything until someone teaches you how to do it how do you know you're doing it right
0: yeah Until someone tells you not to use the word interval
1: <laughs> you don't know <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> all right man I appreciate it Mark hey thanks for having me on Chris All right. Well, that's it for this week's show. I will be, uh, back next week with, uh, with another guest. So again, check out, uh, you can check out my channel on YouTube. That's CJ Media as well as Instagram. And, uh, we'll talk to you next week.